Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I am Ashley Sanchez. We are still recording over Zoom. Erin Keller is here today as usual. And today also joining us is Endow Big Game Biologist Cody Schroeder. And then for the first time ever, we also have Matt Kaufman. He is with the USGS Wyoming Cooperative Fish and Wildlife Research Unit. That's a long, long title, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you did a good job. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you both for being here. I appreciate it. And today we're actually covering something pretty big in the wildlife world. Um, for the first time ever, agencies across the West came together and you guys are now mapping migrations for big game animals. And this is the first we've ever done this. Matt, could you explain how we got here and what it is exactly? Yeah, you bet. Um, so the um, so this report uh, came out in November, and uh, it's really a culmination of work that um, that the Western states have been doing uh, in collaboration with the USGS um, to map migration corridors. And um, this is kind of uh, over the last oh decade or so, maybe a little bit longer. We've been uh, you know wildlife biologists have been able to collar animals with these GPS collars, which literally allow the animals to tell us where their migrations are, where they go to for summer and where they go to for winter. And so there's a whole body of science that's kind of built up around these, uh, this great migration data. And, uh, and um, for my own work, uh, I, I work in Wyoming and you know, we've increasingly, every time we discover one of these migrations, then we also sort of dis discover some of the, the challenges and the obstacles that these animals face. And over the years, really over the last decade, this kind of model has been proven up of, you know, mapping, it's, it's not rocket science, you know, sort of mapping the migration corridors, because then you can figure out when you have a detailed corridor, then you can figure out, you know, where are the road crossings and where are, where are their housing developments and, you know, where, where are their land use changes that might make these corridors more difficult in the future. Um, and then in early 2018, then Secretary of Interior Ryan Zinke issued a secretarial order uh, calling on all the interior agencies to work with the Western states to map migration corridors of mule deer, elk, and pronghorn. And since um, so I was kind of the lead for USGS on migration corridors, I was charged with kind of bringing this group together. And, and it's really kind of a perfect storm because as, as you know, and most of your listeners would know, you know, the state wildlife agencies have a long history of, of tracking animals and figuring out where they need to go at specific times of the year and, and incorporating that into their management. And so in this case, sort of you had the science and there's some statistical analyses involved in sort of mapping these corridors that was all sort of kind of being developed. And then the state agencies, uh, you know, including Nevada, have been you know, collecting this type of data um, for many years. And, and it turns out that the analyses are 
are a little bit challenging. And so this group came together, we call ourselves the corridor mapping team. Um, it's most of the Western states and USGS and the group came together precisely with the goal of um, you know, accessing that animal tracking data that the states have collected, analyzing it so we could delineate these specific corridors. And then the report is just getting those corridors out um, to the public and other federal managers and other stakeholders so, uh, so those maps can be used to guide the management of, of these big game herds and their migrations. So this is extremely important for management overall. Could you explain what knowing this information can do compared to what we had before not having these maps, if that makes sense? Oh, sure, yeah. And it's, um, it's, really, uh, it's really kind of exciting uh, for me as a researcher, because this is um, some of the most direct science-based management that, um, that, that the states or, or federal land agencies can do. Um, the thing with migration corridors and the thing, the thing about migratory ungulates as compared to migratory birds is like, you know, they have to walk these corridors, right? They've got to plot across the same landscapes where we live and where we work and where we ask a lot of different things of, of, of these habitats. And so once you have a map, you can then sort of intersect that, that map with, you know, with a GIS or the landscape. And, and that allows you to sort of pinpoint where some of the problem spots are and, and target some of the conservation solutions. And, and we've seen that across the West, that kind of model has been proven up. So these types, this type of migration data has been used to um, you know, target fences for removal or modification. Uh, in Wyoming, there's a couple examples of the corridors being used to inform leasing decisions on, on public land, on BLM land. Um, I know there in Nevada, one of your corridors goes across Interstate 80. And so, and that's a real common use of this corridor data to look at road crossings and where those can be made uh, more friendly for migrating animals and motorists. And so there's all these different ways that having a detailed corridor points us to the problem spots and some of the conservation solutions as well. Exactly. Aaron, were you going to follow up on that? Yeah. So anytime I get a press release, this, the first four words are for the first time. And especially with wildlife, it, you know, it's something I want to read. So how, how important was it to just bite off this huge chunk, right? So all these different species are all in. What, you know, I'm trying to like think about how rather than just take mule deer, right? across the West or just take elk across the West? Why was it so important to take all these different species? Yeah, that's a good question. And I guess maybe, maybe I'd pitch that over to Cody and, you know, with respect to, so, so because there's the part of the history here is, and, and it's kind of hard to put your finger on it. In Wyoming, um, we have a lot of oil and gas development that, and that's really spurred our state on in kind of wrapping our head around mapping these migration corridors. And I, and, um, and I don't know the story as well for the other states. And I, you know, I guess I sort of pitched that same question over to Cody and, and um, you know, why, 
why was why did you know why was Nevada? I mean, you guys were one of the most uh, enthusiastic partners joining in this effort, and I, I guess sort of what were the benefits that that you all saw in, in joining this Westwide effort? That's a good transition because I was going to send it right over to Cody after this anyway. So Cody, go ahead and answer that. Uh, yeah, so I can take a crack. Well, I mean, I think it probably boils down to what data we had available. So different states have over the years prioritized different species differently, you know, depending on their abundance or localized conservation um, issues. Certainly for Nevada, mule deer uh, has been on our radar as a species of conservation concern. It's, it's one of our uh, priority species, not just game species, but you know, wildlife species in general, pronghorn as well. Uh, so for us, that was probably the main impetus is to focus on those species. Um, I think other states probably have a variety of species that you know, maybe they're more abundant or maybe their populations are declining. And maybe it just depends on where, where the funding um, was historically to, to get the data in the first place. Uh, so we've, we've focused quite a bit of research dollars on mule deer over the years uh, because we've known that you know, we've had declining herds and we have issues with corridors. We've, we've known that for you know, decades now. So I'd say that's where we came to it with how we identified it, but we certainly have you know, for this version of this report, we, we submitted uh, mule deer corridors. The next version, I think we're going to have some pronghorn in there. But we also have elk and moose, you know, so that we've been collecting data on. So hopefully in the future, we'll have as many species that we can, that we can get mapped on there. Yeah, that was going to be my next question was, so what data did we dump in there? We, so we started with mule deer, and then we'll kind of, as this thing evolves, can we put more yeah. Okay. For Nevada, for Nevada, there's there's many species in there, uh, as was mentioned: mule deer, elk, pronghorn, moose, bison. Uh, we we just submitted our top three corridors, which were all mule deer, for the volume one. But we are we're still working with um, the USGS on volume two, and we have pronghorn and a few other herds on coming up that we have data on for mule deer. Um, it's yet to be seen down the road what you know. Certainly elk we have data on. Moose is kind of new to Nevada. It's pretty exciting. We just, I mean, we literally only have, I think, five collars out, uh, but we're trying to get more out. So that might be a species down the road that we can look at too. Yeah, and, and Aaron, you know, your, your question for the first time, you know, why, why that? You know, one way to describe it is, um, I mean, it's just kind of the technological advancement, right? So we've already talked about kind of the collars, like the collar data is quite amazing. You know, you put a collar on an animal and that, these collars now might run three to four years. And then when you get the collar back, you know, you have their location every couple hours, right? So it's really, it's, um, those are some really detailed breadcrumbs, right? That allow us to figure out where these animals go. And, um, but then on the other side of it is like, we've had to figure out, okay, now, okay, we have the breadcrumbs. We've got the little, the path of the animal. Now what? One of the things my colleague, Hal Sawyer, who's actually, who actually analyzed some of the Nevada data, used to say, this was a decade ago, when we started mapping mule deer migrations in Wyoming. Um, so you can think about it, you sort of connect the dots, right? And you end up with a line. And Hall said, okay, so we have a line. How wide is that line, right? Is it one meter? Is it a kilometer? Is it 10 kilometers, right? And if, we, if our interest is 
in managing that corridor and keeping it open so that these herds can, you know, move back and forth up to the mountains and back down to the plains twice a year, we need to know the width. And that's where the sort of statistical analysis comes in. And, um, and it, you know, and, and that's, that's been a little bit of a barrier. Um, and so I think that's, that's kind of, that statistical analysis was developed about a decade ago, but it's been sort of slowly working its way into the wildlife profession. And, um, and then we've also developed some methods that make it more user-friendly and, and, and easier to, to employ. And so that was, was kind of some technological hurdles that we had to overcome to get everybody together to, to map the corridors. We have a lot more to get to, but I looked down because it's so interesting to me and I realize we're already out of time for the first half of the show, but we will be right back after this quick break. You're listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we have Dr. Matthew Kaufman with USGS's Wyoming Cooperative Fish and Wildlife Research Unit. And then we have Cody Schroeder, our big game biologist, and we're talking about how for the first time ever, wildlife agencies across the web, the West can now map migrations of big game animals. So we were getting into that in the first half and right before the break, we were just saying how far technology has come. I mean, the reason, the way you said it, Matt, was the reason it's first time is this is the first time we have this type of data. Um, from those callers to be able to track this information. Do you want to expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, well, and it's just, and it's not just the data, but also the analyses. Um, exactly. You're you kind of, we won't get in the weeds about the analysis, but you know, you kind of have all these squiggly lines. The data, when you get the data off the collar, you just basically have all these squiggly lines of where all the animals go. But then, you know, you have to do a more sophisticated analysis to um, figure out the corridor that the whole population uses. This is making use of, you have, like you said, you have the data and then it's putting it somewhere so that we could have a, what you said. <laughs> yeah, and figure out, figure out kind of what is that, like the whole kind of thrust is figuring out, you know, it's like there's a, there's a corridor here. There's some, there's some pattern here. The animals are, you know, they're, they're getting from winter range to summer range. And it's never, especially with mule deer, I mean, it's never like random. They, they all kind of, that, that, when you get these collars back and you get like 20 or 30 or 40 animals, you know, you find like, wow, they're all kind of using the same route. And then those become, you know, the, that's what the analyses do. They show you where those highways are or the freeways even, right? Which are obviously some of the most important places to keep open for the migrating herds. Exactly. And while we're talking about that, Cody, could you tell us what those maps look like in Nevada, where those migration routes are? Yeah. So, um, I mean, folks can go, most of this data that data is publicly available now, so, so folks can go online and, and check them out. Uh, migrations.net, I believe, is the website that we have. West, WesternMigrations.net. WesternMigrations.net. Yeah. Um, but we, we should be making them available on our website as well when we get our new, our, our 
our new website. In general, what we did for this first go around is we took the secretarial order that um, Matt outlined that prioritize, you know, where are your most important herds. So they're generally in Elko County, Nevada. Um, a lot of our listeners are probably more familiar with the terms areas. So area six, for instance, is one is one herd. We have within that three subherds, uh, largely that use, you know, the Independence Mountains and the winter ranges around below uh, west of Elko, Harlan, Battle Mountain, for instance. Uh, that was one that actually had three subherds. And then uh, the Pequot migration or the Area 7 mule deer herd um, was one of our others. We put a lot of resources into that. That one's probably a lot of people are familiar with that as well because of all the um, highway crossing work that we've done with the Nevada Department of Transportation. So those, those deer uh, traverse, you know, a large long distance migration and they actually cross a highway in, in the interstate, Interstate 80. Uh, and then our other one was the Ruby Mountains, uh, which we also kind of refer to as the Area 10 mule deer herd. That's one of our larger deer herds. We've put a lot of uh, research and focus into that one over the years too. We've collared, well, as its analysis, we had I think over 155 deer collared in that, in that herd. Um, so we had a lot of data and we had a lot of focus in those areas, uh, but in general, they're you know, surrounding Elko, Nevada, for those not familiar with Nevada. Yeah, just clicking around the map, it's it's pretty cool to see, like just how you can filter out like certain areas. Like if you're interested in learning more, as just somebody that's interested in that, um, and how you can toggle between the species and kind of click them on and off. It's kind of it's just really interesting to look at. And yeah, that was one of the that was one of the neat things just seeing that map get put together, right? There was it wasn't like there were any big surprises, you know. Like Cody and his colleagues at Nevada knew where those those migrations were, but it was it was just kind of for me it was really fascinating to start to see that map get populated because when you sort of step back, you get this um, very clear impression that like migration is a really common phenomenon across the West, right? And that's because it's a it's a profitable strategy for these mule deer and other big game herds in lots of different habitats, right? And then you sort of see that, the success of that strategy being repeated in, you know, in different states across the West. Yeah, when we go into, you know, Cody's office and he's got a map on the wall that has, you know, data points plotted out or migration routes or what caller data or anything like that, like tacked up on the wall, it's so cool to look at, but then, then it gets me thinking like, how do we use that? And so Cody, Nevada is, I mean, anybody that lives here knows we have tons of public land, right? And a lot of that is managed by, you know, the BLM and the Forest Service. And how do we, how do we plan on using some of this data moving forward? Yeah, so uh, it, it's a good point. Um, we do have a lot of complex land management uh, structures. So, but, it, but also I like to point out, although we do have a lot of you know, public land that we work with our federal partners on, there's a lot of private land as well in between interspersed and, and a variety of other uh, you know, jurisdictions. So it, it can definitely be a challenge. Um, but, you know, we've been working uh, fairly well with our federal partners. The, certainly the secretarial order has kind of increased the focus 
for us to, and the Bureau of Land Management, for instance, and Forest Service to kind of work more together. In this case, we worked with USGS on the mapping part, but in terms of how we're gonna apply it on the ground, it'll be identifying corridors to protect. It'll be identifying areas that we might focus some effort on rehabilitation, whether it be, you know, a vegetation treatment, maybe pinning juniper thinning or fire restoration, planting, seeding, things that have burned and things like that. Um, hopefully fence improvements. Um, I mean, it runs the gamut. We, we have big dreams, I guess, um, for that. And I, I guess while I have it, the floor, I'll put a shameless plug in for some of the other things we worked on that are related. But uh, last summer we embarked on this idea of a mule deer uh, enhancement program. And it's more of a statewide focus. It's going to look at every herd we have, not just our, our priority herds in this case, but it's really going to be a kind of a grassroots, identify the limiting factors for each herd. Um, how do we work with our partners better, federal and state and local partners to enhance, you know, mule deer? So whether it be habitat projects, uh, fencing improvements, things like that. We were really just I mean, we're way behind the times on this and compared to some of the other states, but but I'm excited about it. And it, it will directly tie into this work that we've done. You know, so sometimes, um, you know, the state and the federal government don't, you know, it's a little bit hard to work together, right? Government moves slow. How has this like fueled your like positivity and moving forward? Or how's this experience kind of recharged you to keep going? So yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Um, it's, it was a monumental effort and, and you're right that states don't always work well, I guess, with, with some of the other, like the federal agencies. You know, it, it was just, it was just a really positive thing overall. The, so we, what we received from USGS, for instance, was resources, funding, uh, expertise, um, manpower really that the, this the resources we didn't have to help us get these corridors mapped uh, both from the technological side and sort of the time management side um, and then and then you kind of tie into you know um, the BLM has been highly involved in Nevada anyway uh, on these so they've they've given us some additional funding and work with us on you know identifying some of these corridors and they have a high interest I know uh, in working on kind of like area specific habitat projects going down the road. So, so it's definitely opened the door to helping us facilitate conversations, uh, funding, transferring funding from the federal to the states and, and even between the states. That's the cool thing we haven't touched on is a lot of our herds are, are migratory across state lines. And we always, we kind of work in little bubbles there too. Although, you know, uh, I'm a member of the Nevada as part of the Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. And we have these groups this has helped solidify that. So if you look at that map, you'll see migrations that span uh, state lines. And there's a lot more that aren't on the map that I'm hoping that, that will fill in over the years too. And that's a super important thing too, because the animals of course don't abide by the sort of arbitrary jurisdiction boundaries. They, they go wherever and it's an important part of their management. And we actually had that, you know, prior to this, we had, you know, a corridor that might get mapped in one state and then stop at that state boundary, the, the, the mapped part of the corridor, and then the deer would continue on beyond the map, right, into the other state. And so, you know, what that means is that one state is managing to keep that corridor open, 
And then the, you know, the next state that's adjacent to it doesn't have that same priority. And so yeah, that's, um, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Cody, because I think that's been, this has been a, this, this corridor mapping team has been a great kind of forum to identify those herds and then work together so that we have one common map um, that both the states can use and, and you know, everybody, it's standardized and every, basically everybody's using the same map. Yeah, we always call it the imaginary line, right? Like the right. animals, anytime we're talking about anything, whether it's migration or CWD or anything like that, it's this imaginary line, right? You can see it on the map. But so when you go to this mapping tool, though, I think what's interesting is it starts way out, right? At the, it's got the whole, um, U, the whole US. And then as you kind of zoom in, you can zoom in where you want to look. But yeah, the animals don't. I mean, they don't fall, they don't know. They're not looking at a map when they're traveling. <laughs> no. Okay. no. So. And, and it also brings up another good point, Matt, is what you said is the, the data might end at that imaginary line. And it's not necessarily saying the state's not doing their own part, but this is a tool that kind of brings everything together. So right. it kind of centralizes it and makes it yeah. easy. To and, and it's also a really great integration with with what we're learning about these migrations. Um, Cody was mentioning some of this over the break. There's been kind of, you know, all this detailed data on these migrations has kind of led to this, you know, mini, mini renaissance in sort of the ecology of migration. And, and, and of course that's a lot what I and my, my graduate students do. And it's really quite fascinating. Like we've, we used to think that you had like the winter range and the summer range. And the migration was just a way of get, for the animals getting between those two seasonal habitats. But some of the migrations that, you know, when we drill into them and we get this detailed data, we find out like we have a 150 mile migration in Wyoming that it takes two months for these animals to migrate in the spring and another two months in the fall. So for fully one third of the year, they're not in either of those winter range or summer range, they're migrating, right? And then, and then we're also seeing that like, it's almost like, I like to say they sort of choreograph their movements. Like it's, it's a dance between, you know, the resources that these animals need and the things that they want to avoid, like getting caught in deep snow. And that's an, the um, analyses and research have shown that like mule deer in particular are just, they're really good at this dance. In the spring, they're always in the right place at the right time to get the best food when it's just greening up. And, um, and then, you know, in the, in the winter, they're, they're playing the snow and staying up in the high country to get all that last bits of forage, but then, but then getting down, sort of moving down and stopping over a little bit with each snowstorm and sort of slowly making their way back to winter range. So we're, we're learning that these animals have this really complicated behavior that allows them to like make the best living on these Western landscapes, which is, and so it's a, so yeah, as, as, as Cody said, like we now think of that migration corridor as a habitat unto itself. And, you know, and these maps are the, are the maps of those habitats and allows, you know, state wildlife agencies and federal land managers to, you know, now take better care of those, of those critical habitats. Yeah. I, I could nerd out about this all day. This is so interesting <laughs> to me. And yeah, that what you said about them spending, you know, a third of the year in that part. I mean, we could talk about just that in a whole podcast. So I appreciate you coming on, Matt. Really yeah, you bet. It's fun to talk about this stuff. 
such good information and really fun to hear about. Um, again, Matt, thank you so much for being here. And Cody, thank you too. You guys were great today. It was so fun to listen to. Great. Well, thanks for having me. It was, it was yeah, a, thanks for having the me. conversation. Of course, that does it for this week's Nevada Wild. Thank you everyone for listening. again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.